The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Speaking of Nutrition with Tom Mantos and co-host Fred Fornicola. Our program discusses the facts about chronic health conditions and shows you remedies that work. Now, here are your hosts, Tom Mantos and Fred Fornicola. Welcome, everyone, to Speaking of Nutrition, and I'm your host, Tom Mantos. I'm a clinical nutritionist, and I'm here with my co-host, Fred Fornicola, who's a fitness professional. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us. Over the next several weeks, Tom and I will be diving deep into some very, very important topics that could impact the outcome of your health and well-being. We'll be sharing research-based information, alternative methods, rather than traditional applications, so that you can lead a healthy and functional lifestyle. Now, Tom's going to take a moment to uh, share some of his background with you guys. Well, this is our first podcast, me and Fred, in a series of many to come, and we are really excited to explore a variety of topics on health and wellness with you. A little about myself, I've been in practice over 35 years. My background is in nutritional biochemistry, and I studied this at Montclair State College, and homeopathic medicine, which I studied for six years in Boston. I also have numerous certifications over the years, many of which are from Functional Medicine Research Center in Gig Harbor, Washington. And this happens to be the largest nutritional medical facility in the world. In fact, they train a lot of the traditional doctors and certify them in alternative or what we now call functional medicine. Now, I want to talk to you about what functional medicine is. It's really going to be the new age of alternative therapy. The difference between functional medicine and traditional medicine is that in a traditional medical practice, they're treating just the symptoms. And in functional medicine, they treat the whole person with the problem. And what they're finding by doing this is they get better health outcomes. Matter of fact, just in October of this year, the Journal of American Medical Association looked at a huge uh, clinical trial on functional medicine. And what they found is significant increase in health-related quality of life outcomes. So in my practice, this is the model that we follow. If you're looking... For an alternative therapy, look for a functional medicine doctor, or you can contact me. I I do the same type of model. When When we do functional medicine, we look at, first of all, the mental, emotional makeup of the person, very important. We look at their lifestyle, diet, exercise, how they handle stress, um, exposure to chemicals, these types of things. It's very important to us. So, We have to spend a lot of time with the patient. The other thing we do is we get a very detailed history. We look at stresses, traumas that may have affected the person's health or contributed to the health problems. So I'm fortunate enough, I work with Dr. Dominic Rosso, who's board certified in internal medicine. And he's just a few doors down from my office, so we have a real good marriage there because when we both work with the patient, they benefit Dr. Grosso handles the medical end of it, and I cover the nutrition and lifestyle changes. The other thing that we're able to do, besides the regular blood work and testing and medical procedures, we're able to do what are called functional tests. 
Now, functional tests look at inborn errors of metabolism that can either cause or complicate a health problem. So we, do, we usually use a lot of out-of-state labs for this. So we can do food and chemical sensitivity. We can do things like heavy metal testing, uh, neurotransmitter testing. We can do genomics testing. So all different types of things, depending on what the patient needs. We customize it to them. And then after we put all this information together, I customize an entire program for the person. This would include his food and dietary intake, exercise, supplementation, teaching them how to handle stress better. Um, in many cases, using what are called the medical foods. Now, the medical foods are the latest development in nutritional biochemistry. Medical foods are not just a vitamin supplement, but it's a unique combination of nutrients, specific types of fibers, protein, carbohydrates, and fats, and very important plant compounds made into a tasty shake. So they're very easy to take. They are designed to improve the health outcome of a specific disease or health problem beyond what a change in diet can do. So they have tremendous application and benefits to the patient, and it's easy to implement. And there are a lot of clinical studies that have to go into these products in order for them to become a medical food. So more detail on the medical foods later. Let's hear a little bit about Fred. Thanks, Tom. So a quick little bio on me. I've been involved in health and fitness since 1976, and it's been a passion of mine ever since. So much so that I became a fitness professional in 2003 and opened up my own private one-on-one training facility in Asbury Park, New Jersey. I personally supervised over 50,000 training sessions in my career, working with competitive and recreational athletes along with teams, seniors, and everyone in between. I also have a background in nutrition and have co-authored two books, one of which is dedicated to dumbbell training, the other is on youth fitness. So, Tom, our first topic right out of the gate today is one of that has become an epidemic over the years, and that's type 2 diabetes. I just recently read a statistic put out by the CDC, the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, <clears throat> that more than 30 million Americans right now have diabetes, which is about 1 in 10 people. And that's 90, and 9, 90 to 95% of them have type 2 diabetes. That's over 27 million people with type D diabetes that we know of. I remember when type 2 diabetes was referred to as adult diabetes, but now more and more children, teens, and young adults are also developing it. So, Tom, you got to describe more about this diabetes and what's going on. Right. And just a little side note on that, uh, what they also believe, there's tens of millions of Americans that haven't even been diagnosed with diabetes and they don't even know they have it. Or, very important, they're on their way to type 2 diabetes and they have no idea. So this is where we come in. We like to, to get in there and prevent things before you get a full-blown problem. Now, what I'm going to be doing, uh, today's hop, the topic is going to be type 2 diabetes, a new epidemic. Pre-diabetes, I'm going to cover insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome. Primarily, what I'm going to be talk, using as a, a, a word to describe it is going to be pre-diabetes and insulin resistance which leads to type 2 diabetes. So there's so much to cover, I broke it into two parts or podcasts. Today is going to be part one. In part one, I will be explaining how your control of blood sugar works, what high blood sugar does to your body, some very interesting facts about high blood sugar you may never have heard before. And then we're going to explore genetics, what we can do about that. 
and how to do proper testing and signs and symptoms to look for and how we can improve health outcomes. The following podcast, part two, will be, uh, I will cover research-based lifestyle changes, which can greatly improve your health outcome. I'm going to dig apart the diet, what's the best research way to eat. We're going to cover that a lot. I'll outline a specific food plan, exercise. We're going to talk about supplementation and how to apply the medical foods, all based on the latest science in nutritional biochemistry. So let's get started. I'm going to give you an introduction or a primer on how your insulin works. Now, insulin resistance is a precursor to type 2 or dull onset diabetes. A blood sugar, or we're going to call it glucose, is often measured by your doctor as part of the standard blood test. Glucose is the basic fuel your body uses for energy. Glucose cannot be used for energy when it's just floating around in your bloodstream. In a well-running system, the body maintains glucose in a fairly narrow range. This is because too much blood sugar becomes a toxic substance as in diabetes. So the range of blood sugar should not be too low, which we call hypoglycemia, or too high, which is diabetes. Imbalances in this blood sugar, especially when high, can cause serious side effects and health problems. So how it all works is this. In the pancreas, your body has specialized cells. It's called the islets of Langerhorn. And their job is to produce insulin. So what insulin does, it binds to the sugar, especially, I mean, when you have too much sugar in the blood, it wants to get rid of it, binds to the sugar, goes to the cell, knocks on the door, the cell lets the glucose in, and now you can use it as fuel. When your diet and lifestyle are very poor and you have a predisposition to diabetes, we're going to talk about genetics a little later and how that works. Continually feeding your body processed foods, high amounts of sugar, severe nutritional deficiencies, and having a predisposition to diabetes, more and more cells start shutting the door and don't let the glucose in. Now, the first thing your body's going to do it's gonna produce more insulin. And as this goes on, you don't intervene, you keep the same lifestyle as time goes on. More and more cells close the door, they won't open it when the insulin comes there knocking on the door, won't open it. Now your body has no other choice, produces more insulin. Blood sugar keeps going up, more and more cells become resistant. This whole process is starting insulin resistance. Now. Insulin resistance over time will lead to type 2 diabetes, just a matter of time. The problem is when you have insulin resistance, damage is already being done to the body. And the common thread is inflammation. We're going to talk specifically on inflammation and how that affects the physiology. So let's look at some of the problems that elevated insulin causes. So we know it's a risk to diabetes, big risk to coronary artery disease, hypertension, obesity, endocrine problems like polycystic ovarian syndrome, dementia, which is scary, autoimmune disorders. People don't associate with diabetes. Autoimmune disorders, yeah. What happens is your body starts making funny proteins when you have too much sugar in there and your 
body don't like those funny looking proteins, so it attacks it and it can produce an autoimmune disease. Bone loss, why bone loss? Because it's bone loss, a lot of that is inflammatory. And we're going to have a whole session just on osteoporosis. Take out a lot of the myths and actually what, what it really is and what's causing it. And again, the common thread is inflammation. Here's some other uh, disorders that diabetes can lead to. Certain types of cancer. The scariest one for me is Alzheimer's disease. Big link to Alzheimer's disease. Do you know now they've termed Alzheimer's disease type 3 diabetes? Very scary. And then, of course, the traditional liver problems, the kidney problems, the eye problems. Now, one of the things that they've considered epidemic is this pre-diabetes or this insulin resistance starts back in middle school and in high school. The diets of the kids are getting worse and worse. Their lifestyle is worse and worse. They're inactive. If they have a predisposition to getting diabetes, by continually eating sugar processed foods, nutritional deficiencies, they start to become insulin resistant. And what they're finding, even kids in middle school, they're getting non-alcoholic fatty livers. How come a fatty liver? Their liver enzymes are up. It's due to the inflammation produced by insulin resistance. A lot of these kids, they're never really blood tested or, or anything in between. They just keep, keep going on into you know, college and then adulthood. And all of a sudden, they find that they have diabetes down the road. When they could have prevented it all the way back in middle school and grammar school. So what we need to do as parents, we can't let a little kid decide what they want to eat. You know, it's like saying to your three-year-old, you decide if you want to cross the street or not. You know, you've got to teach them these things. So you can't let these kids eat everything they want, pick everything out that they eat. Because I can tell you, I get kids, teenagers, that have health problems. And you should see the foods they're eating. I remind, I remind yeah. the parents all the time, Tom, who come in with, with their kids to, to, to exercise, that they're the ones who are in charge. They're the ones driving the car. They're the ones, you know, going, doing the shopping. And a lot of parents tell me, well, it's just a snack. It's just a treat. It's just this. But most of the time, they're eating more of that than they should be instead of eating their fruits, vegetables, and doing more exercise. So this is why we have this epidemic right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a typical food diary of one of the kids that came in to, to see me. This is what they ate. Every day almost. Breakfast before school. Either a Pop-Tart, which you, you plug into the toaster. Uh, waffles. Or they'll have uh, some, oh, the one, Cocoa Krispies was the other cereal that they ate. Okay. Now, lunchtime, it was either bologna sandwich, salami sandwich, or a peanut butter sandwich, and a, and a, and a soda to drink. Okay. One soda. Come home from school. Chips, soda, maybe some cookies or some kind of crazy pie thing or something. But I know that the chips are usually consistent. I'm talking about one uh, dietary log that I had gotten. And then dinner time, what does that look like? Pasta, ravioli, fish, <laughs> fish sticks, and French fries. And then they have another soda. And they may have so. During the day, three to four sodas. 
No, no. Anything in there is food. What I consider food is what you get through fishing or farming. That's food. Okay. Take, for instance, a soda. Look at the grams of sugar in a soda, like a Coke. All right. 40 grams of sugar in a Coke. Now, divide that by four. That tells you how many teaspoons are in there. So that's 10 teaspoons of sugar in a, in a Coke. Let's say you have four Cokes. 40 teaspoons of sugar. It's quite nauseating, if you ask me. And, of course, this is going to cause damage eventually to the, to the child. And then, of course, the, the vitamin deficiencies associated with no fruits, no vegetables, nothing. You got to start them young. Because when these kids come to me, you might as well start World War III trying to get them to change their diet or doing anything, even taking like a vitamin supplement. Right? So what I want to talk, go into you about is the effect, the effect of genes on diabetes and other disorders. So we have to take a break right now. And when we come back, we're going to talk about genetics. If you need to get a hold of me or Fred, we email or see our website. My, my website is tommantos.com. Fred's is fitbyfred.net. Okay? See you in a bit. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Tom Mantos' Center for Alternative and Preventative Medicine in New Jersey will help you find the right solutions for your health and nutritional needs. Each person is different, and our customized approach tailored to individual needs allows us to create achievable goals that are based on your lifestyle and physicality. Our preventative medicine specialists are committed to helping you make the changes you need in your life. To schedule a 30-minute free consultation or for more information, call 732-219-9636 or visit TomMantos.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Speaking of Nutrition with Tom Mantos and Fred Fornicola. Now, back to the program. All right, Fred, we're back. All right. In the commercial. <laughs> yeah, we so made we made it through that first Hey, one. we're going we're gonna to talk about genetics because, you know, a lot of people have old myths about genetics. They do. They, they do. certainly do. And, you know, what's funny is a lot of the doctors still believe some of these myths on genetics. And I'm going to clear this up, and we're going to find out it's actually good news for us. 
Good. Okay. Now, I went to a seminar maybe six, seven years ago, and it was all on genetics. And it was the culmination of research done by the Human Genome Project. The Human Genome Project was the longest running project on, on human genetics. What they found amazed them. Things that they thought were true or absolutely false. So what they found is <clears throat> there's no direct gene for most of these chronic disorders. Amazing, right? There's no gene for heart disease. There's no gene for diabetes. There's no direct gene for cancer or any of these other chronic disease. What there is is a predisposition to get those diseases. What does predisposition means? It means that it can be changed. So predisposition to a disease, let's say diabetes we're gonna talk about, is 25% of the story. 75% of the story is environment. The environment would include like your diet, how you handle stress, your exercise habits, what you're exposed to, in the, you know, in the environment, those types of things. So broken down, it's preventable. Well, yeah, you're in the driver's seat. Right. You can change your you can change your environment. So let's say you have a predisposition, and there are some genomic testing that can give you predispositions. Doesn't mean you're going to get the disease, but you can do a strategy to prevent it. So you have a predisposition to diabetes. And again, you eat sugar, processed foods, no exercise, uh all types of vitamin deficiencies, fatty acid deficiencies. You just turn the switch on for diabetes, for that predisposition. Now, we do all the right things. We follow a Mediterranean type diet, which I'm gonna go into, particularly in my second podcast. You start a good exercise program. You learn how to handle stress. You try to stay away from them. We're gonna really talk about this try to stay away from pesticides in the foods and that type of thing. And wait till I get into that. You turn the gene off for diabetes. So at any point when you start into insulin resistance, whether it's in high school or even back in middle school, college, any, anywhere along that line, you can change your diet and lifestyle, your environment, and turn the switch off for diabetes. And most of the time, what I hear from people as being an obstacle is how they're busy. And they're just like, I got to run here. I have to run there. I can't get little Johnny this food. And, that. But, and manufacturers have taken advantage of that in some cases where they made everything. You know, you can drive through a window and pick up food. You can run into a quick jacket, anything you want. But it takes a little time to get organized and a little time to get familiar with what you need to do. And get you know some information and it really doesn't have to be that difficult it can really actually be easy to shove an apple in little johnny's you know lunch pail and give him organic peanut butter on a whole grain piece of bread right. and he's fine well like when i work with uh, patients uh i have a whole thing i do on eating on the run how you can eat healthy and still run around like a chicken and still do pretty good and even exercise as you know fred what we've been involved with for years is more shorter, sure. but more intense exercise things. Right. And you have to, you know, of course, to the person we're used to doing high intensity. Right. I've been doing it all my life. I still do it. But you start people on at the level that they can, that they can do it. 
you know, for the exercise part of it. Same thing with the food. I get patients in, they're excellent. They can change their the whole diet in a week and breakfast, lunch, dinner, and get it perfectly down. I show them step-by-step step how to do it. I give them 60-page booklet on, like for instance, a modified Mediterranean diet. I use that for the most part, but there are other things that I use depending on the case. And what eventually happens is with other people, it may take me two weeks to a month just to change their breakfast, but I, that's fine. Even if you make a 10 or 20% change in your food, you're going to have some benefit from that. It's a definite step in the right direction. It takes, it yeah. does you right. It takes people a little time to get some traction, but once they do, I'll ask people all the time, how are you feeling? They're like, you know, I was craving some food the other day. And I said, what did you grab? And they said, I grabbed an apple. I said, seriously, because they're usually grabbing a bag of chips. And I said, was that a conscious decision? They said, no, after a few weeks, I've gotten to a point where I just, my body's craving good foods and it really does happen it, that it's, quickly. It takes a little, it takes a little time to, you know, get off the sugars and things like that. But, you know, there'll come a point where your body doesn't crave it anymore. You just have to get through the initial part. But I have no problem. All right, we're, this for the next week or two, we're just going to work on a healthy breakfast. We're going to forget the rest of the day. And then from there, I'll go to lunch. It's literally one step. And then I'll, I'll have them now this week or two, we're going to work on a healthy snacks. So we're going to try different stuff, quick stuff if you need it. Uh, and then we're going to work on dinner. And that's why personalized programs are so important. It's not a, it's not a cookie cutter, no pun intended here, cookie yeah. cutter situation that you can just throw out an idea. The, I, the concept's there, but how people address it and how they apply it isn't, is different for every person. Right. It's, it's the same with exercise. As you know, let's say you want to get in 20 minutes to 30 minutes of nice exercise. You don't have to do it all at the same time. Not at all. Right? You can Primitive man, they did five minutes of running after from a bear here, or they hunted something, and then they rested, and then, you know, a little later. Well, in fact, Dr. Martin Gabala out of uh, Canada, uh, he's been doing research. That he has something he's called, and does a lot of high-intensity uh, interval training show, but they're doing something now called um, exercise snacking. They're finding that multiple times a day, people taking the stairs, uh, and this is any age, 60, 70, 80-year-old people, taking the stairs, you know, aggressively, vigorously within their capacity, are finding they're getting lower blood pressure. They're, they're, you know, they're not having diabetic problems. They feel better. They're more functional. All the things that happen. So we have too many excuses, but the excuses are being eliminated now. And now people have to sit there and go, okay, this is a conscious decision. There are no more excuses because research is showing way too much information to show a little bit goes a long way. Yeah, that's right. So you can fit anything in, you know. The, the other thing that came out of the Human Genome Project, which was interesting, which is what I do and I've studied a lot, is called nutrigenomics. Most people haven't heard of that. What nutrigenomics is, it's the interaction of diet and genes. And most people think, well, you know, I eat some food, it goes in one end, comes out the other end. That's it. <laughs> no. There's tons of complex chemistry happening based on what you're eating. One of the things that when you eat specific foods, depending on what it is, your body will send out messaging signals to things like your genes. And it'll tell it, for instance, in certain foods, it'll switch on your immune system. So it has an immune system boosting effect. The wrong foods may have an immune system uh, degradation effect, like drops your immune system. Based on what you eat, you may increase the inflammatory process. Your diet has a lot to do with your inflammatory process. 
eating the right foods lowers the inflammatory process. And as we said, and we're going to talk a little more about it, the common thread with diabetes is inflammation. All chronic diseases have an inflammatory basis. Right. And right? inflammation, too, is like when I have clients who come in, they'll say, I have headaches, I have situations. I'm always asking them what kind of foods they're eating first because I know foods can be inflammatory. Now, you may have some resistance to foods or have you know, issues with certain digesting certain foods if you're celiac or something like that. But the foods and causing inflammation with people with headaches, eye problems, achiness, muscle joints in particular, arthritis is something you can't get rid of, but eating the wrong foods can inflame the, right. the joints. So you have a lot of those issues that can be maybe not prevented, but at least minimized. So, And you're going to see one of my talks is all going to be on inflammatory disorders like autoimmune diseases. And when you... I'll break it down more later, but when you look at specific food sensitivities and you remove them from the diet, which food sensitivities trigger autoimmune reactions and they're delayed reactions, so it's hard to identify the foods. But when you pull that out of your diet, you can have a dramatic effect in things like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, all these different autoimmune disorders. Okay. The other thing, just finishing, I want to read you a headline article. Uh, from the Journal of American College of Nutrition, 1997. And it says here, among changes associated with aging is a decline in glucose tolerance and insulin resistance. Thus, manipulation of diet by influencing the glucose insulin system may favorably affect lifespan. So changing your diet can increase your lifespan and reduce the chronic disorders associated with aging. Now, what we know is Looking at the Mediterranean diet has over 80 years of research on it. People that follow Mediterranean diet have the longest lifespan on the planet. And we're, I'm gonna re- we're going to really talk about that next, next podcast. Well, it's interesting because so. uh, author Michael Pollan, who's written a bunch of different books, and he's a journalist and activist and a foodie. <clears throat> and in his book, In Defense of Food, he wrote, um, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And basically, it's just a very easy concept to think about. You don't need to overeat. It's easy to eat plants and, you know, a plant-based diet. It doesn't have to be all plant-based, but making good selections is really not that difficult. Well, do you remember Jacqueline? Some of you people remember? Absolutely. The fitness guru, Jacqueline, is phenomenal. His chair and his husky dog. He, He started the whole fitness revolution. Jacqueline said, if God made it, I eat it. If man made it, I don't touch it. And that was, that's really good advice. Okay. Now, here's, here's another thing you may not have heard of or you're not familiar with it. So I'm going to ask you, Fred, if you're obese, does that cause diabetes? Do you think? No. Right. How'd you know that? I don't know. All right. It was a wild guess. I had two choices. Well, here's, here's what happens. When you, there's a direct correlation between upper body heavy where you got all the, all the weight around your, your belly, so your gut's bigger than your butt. This is called visceral fat. Now, visceral fat is, in fact, let, let's go back to like, let's say we're in grammar school, and you have a kid normal weight, and he's eating terrible. By the time he gets to high school, if he's eating too many calories, he starts putting a little weight on in the, around the waist, and height, and then he goes to college, he's partying, maybe drinking more beer, eating more calories. And because of the insulin resistance, this makes you fat around the abdomen. 
not the other way around. So you were right, Fred. Hey, good. So genetically predisposed people, when they go into insulin resistance, especially if they overconsume calories, they get the abdominal fat. Now, this visceral fat, as we're going to be talking about, is metabolically active. People think fat is just a storage area. I'm going to talk about it. This one, we're going to talk about inflammation next and, and how that, that happens. That also affects subcutaneous fat, right? Fat around the, the organs. Yeah. Which sure. is dangerous. Yeah. Now, I'll read you a little statement from uh, Dr. Neil Rutterman and colleagues from Boston University Medical Center point out that a person can be of normal weight but have the physiology of a person with metabolic syndrome or insulin resistance. So I do get some patients, adults, they look normal weight, but their, their blood sugar is real high. How does that happen? Because they don't, they underconsume calories, even though the calories are horrible, a lousy diet. So they don't really put the abdominal fat on, but the majority of people when they're eating a lot of sugar and processed foods, they overconsume calories. So all that weight starts going to the gut. And the more that that gut builds up fat cells, the worse the problem becomes. Is that detected through body fat analysis too then? Yeah. And then if your gut's bigger than your butt, that's another symptom. Because, you, you, I mean, you find women with it too, with diabetes. It all starts going. You know, when they were younger, oh, I used to go to my legs and now it's all in my belly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, man. So, I'm going to read you an interesting paper headline. It's from Cell Metabolism 2007. So, it says, inflammation, not obesity, causes insulin resistance. So, here's what happens as you go into insulin resistance and it gets worse and worse. First of all, the excess sugar that's floating around, some of that gets converted into fat tissue goes into fatty acids and gets converted into fat. So that's a problem. Overconsuming calories makes you fat. No way around it. Then the process of inflammation that's generated also makes you fatter. So you got all these things working against you. One of the things, and we're going to talk about this a little later, the stress chemical cortisol, some of you might have heard about this, but cortisol also, with all these other factors taken in, also can put the weight on in your abdomen. And you can't out-exercise a bad diet. It, Never. it helps. It helps for sure, but it's not going to out-exercise. You're never, never going to have it. Well, let's put it this way. Remember Jim Fix? That's right. He used to run. He was, he was yeah. a world marathon champion. He was only in McDonald's. his 40s. <laughs> he lived on junk food, fried food. He ran marathons and uh, died of a massive heart attack mm. because the exercise doesn't – you have to do both. You have to do some activity and exercise, and you have to eat clean food. Next topic, I think we're going to be rolling up on a, another break, but the next topic is going to be all about inflammation and uh, diabetes. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. 
Tom Mantos' Center for Alternative and Preventative Medicine in New Jersey will help you find the right solutions for your health and nutritional needs. Each person is different, and our customized approach tailored to individual needs allows us to create achievable goals that are based on your lifestyle and physicality. Our preventative medicine specialists are committed to helping you make the changes you need in your life. To schedule a 30-minute free consultation or for more information, call 732-219-9636 or visit TomMantos.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Speaking of Nutrition with Tom Mantos and Fred Fornicola. Now, back to the program. All right, Fred, we're back. We are. So this is about inflammation and how that happens. So insulin resistance has a direct effect on the gene expression of inflammation. Now, what we look for are inflammatory markers. Generally, if there's somebody with prediabetes or type 2 diabetes, a lot of times they've never had their inflammatory markers measured. It's very important because then we can work on getting those inflammatory markers down. Those are the things that are causing all the damage. So a couple of ones to write down because I could give you a whole list of ones, but a lot of times the insurance company won't pay for it, so you're stuck with the bill. But the ones that are most common that you'll be able to look at would be TNF-alpha, stands for tumor necrosis factor, TNF-alpha. When that's elevated, it shows you that the genes are turned on for inflammation. The other one that's more commonly done is CRP. CRP stands for C-reactive protein. Now, Tom, these tests are, you have to request this that the doctor does, because it doesn't come with the standardized basic blood test that you normally go for your physical. If they work with my doctor, he'll do them. Right, but I'm saying that the the patient needs to say to the doctor, request them to be done. Absolutely. Because they're not going to be done. Absolutely, yes. That's very important. So, for instance, elevated CRP, C-reactive protein, is associated with many other chronic age-related inflammatory conditions, Alzheimer's, autoimmune disorders, arthritis, bone loss, spreading of cancer, coronary artery disease, kidney damage, liver, eyes, everything, okay? Now, as I said, a couple of things, your diet regulates inflammation. High sugar diet, high processed food diet jacks up all these inflammatory markers. And then plant compounds. And we're going to get into a lot about what plant compounds do. Uh, They have medicine-like effects with no side effects. Very powerful. So I'm going to read a couple of headline news articles. 
One is from the Journal of American Medical Association, 2001. Coronary artery disease is increasingly recognized as a dynamic chronic inflammatory process of the vessel wall in which phases of inflammatory mechanisms underlie the clinical presentation of acute coronary syndromes. And we're going to do a whole thing on heart disease, but everybody's focused on cholesterol. Cholesterol by itself tells you nothing. And when I get into this, you're going to be amazed at the new research on this. It's inflammation. That's what damages the arteries. Here's another paper. This is from the New England Journal of Medicine, 2004. Elevated levels of inflammatory markers, particularly C-reactive protein, CRP, indicate an increased risk of coronary heart disease. The levels of CRP remained a significant contributor to the prediction of coronary heart disease. So that's why you need a master. So back to your original statement, there you could be predisposed, but not necessarily have to be subjected to getting any kind of type 2 diabetes or any other disease. If you change your lifestyle. Right, which is not, yeah. honestly, not that hard to do. It's really not. not and then I'll tell you what, you'll, you'll feel like a million bucks on it. Anybody who comes, <laughs> any, sure. Anyone who goes into my studio and we engage in a strength and conditioning program, and I do help them with their nutrition because we just talked about what they're doing so they can complement their overall health and wellness. The small changes they make, they immediately feel better, immediately, in energy, right. Absolutely. And in, in their functionality, in day-to-day, sleeping better, uh, there's, there's a host of things, and it's such a positive uh, trickle-down that it's amazing to me that most people don't grasp onto it, and it's really not that hard to do. Well, you know what it is? People get used to feeling crummy. <laughs> yeah, and, and making, you know? and, making and, they, and when they feel good, they're like, wow, what a difference. This right. Is, right? There's also the convenience of making excuses not to do things. I mean, to just take the stairs and of the elevator, grab a, an apple instead of, like you said, a Pop-Tart type thing. It's just yeah. not that hard to do. It's just a conscious effort. And it's something that takes time and willpower and commitment. Exactly. But it, it becomes a lifestyle that's different than what you're used to, but it's better than being on medication and having issues and, you know, having to maybe possibly live in a wheelchair or something. Right. Right. So two other papers I want to, um, tell you about that are very interesting. The, this one's from Journal American Medical Association, 2004. And it says, these findings support the hypothesis that insulin resistance and diabetes contributes to cognitive impairment in the elderly, but primarily in those with high levels of inflammatory markers like CRP. Now, I'm real scared about the brain going. And there's a direct relationship Again, Alzheimer's is called type 3 diabetes. Scary stuff, man. And then there's another one, the Journal of American Medical Association, 2006. Insulin effects weigh heavy on the brain. Next topic, which I'll show you something else with this. We're going to talk about lipotoxicity. What is lipotoxicity? Well, lipo means fat. Toxicity means toxic. So we're talking about toxic fat cells. Most people have never heard this or or thought about it. So the fat cells have their own immune system, believe it or not. Fat cells are called adipocytes. The immune system is called adipocytokines. This is what gets activated when your blood sugar is out of control or you have insulin resistance, okay? A complicating factor is... When you're exposed to all kinds of man-made chemicals, 
pesticides, heavy metals, persistent organic compounds, things that are don't belong in the body, what happens? They get stored in the fat cell. They're lipid soluble. So they get stored in your body. And what these chemicals do is they make the insulin resistance worse and they stimulate your fat cells immune system, the adipocytokines to produce even more inflammation. And we're going to have a talk all on toxicity and chronic disease. Not sure when, but it's going to be coming up. And I'm going to show you how you can eliminate these things. Now, here's a, here's a, a scary study, Journal of Environmental Toxicology. And what it found is the studies with newborn babies, when they did blood tests on the newborn baby, they contained over 200 synthetic man-made chemicals and pesticides. Where'd they get that from? The mother. All the consumed from the mom. Yep, yep, yep. Now, here's another paper, and I deal with this a lot too, with adults primarily, but the American Journal of Pediatrics, 2004, published a study that's shown over 700,000 kids were going to be born with mercury toxicity that they got from their mother. Mercury toxicity is no joke. If you're genetically predisposed to react to mercury, it affects your central nervous system and your cardiovascular system. Okay. I'm going to have a, we're going to do one talk just on that, but here's, here's, here's something else interesting. If you have high levels of aluminum, which a lot of people do, you get it from antiperspirant deodorants, you can get it from drinking water. It's an anti-caking agent and baked products and all this type of thing. If you're genetically prone and there's tests to measure it, that your immune system reacts to aluminum. When you have high levels of aluminum with high levels of blood sugar, it's like one plus one does not equal two. It's one plus one equals a thousand. It's neurotoxic, greatly increases your risk to things like Alzheimer's and dementia. Very scary. So this is a, this is a thing for eating organic and I'm going to break into it most more, but Fred, do you eat organic foods or what do you eat? As much as I can eat organic <laughs> foods, yeah. I mean, you petrified everybody, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but I do. I've, I've eaten organic foods for, for, for years. In fact, when my daughter was born, we gave her organic foods right from the beginning, but I actually had to condition her to eating regular food, if you will, because I, she had to build up an immune system to some of the toxicities. But organic food, that was 25 years ago, but now organic food is so you know available and, you know, we don't always know where the organic food is coming from, but there are standards that we have met in the U.S. And so the good quality foods. And it has to, if it's certified organic, they have very stringent. Right. Rules, so, you know, you, you know and, and the, the price of organic foods have come down. A lot. Competitive. Yep. So it makes no sense not to buy organic when you have an opportunity to. Yeah. And my second, second talk on this, we're going to go a lot into organic and scientifically proven there's more nutritional value in plant compounds in organic food than inorganic, you know, food that's grown with pesticides. So what my wife likes, she'll shop at Wegmans. So we get mostly everything organic. We also have a spray. You ever have those natural sprays sure. that take the pesticides right. and all that stuff off right. of there? So we use that. Try to filter your water. We have water filter, liquid solid carbon block, or reverse osmosis. Very important. There's all kinds of stuff in your tap water. And this greatly reduces the toxic load in your body. And the point I wanted to make about bringing up my, you know, when my daughter was pregnant, I mean, my wife is pregnant with my daughter 25 years ago, you helped us put her on a diet, my wife. And when my daughter was born, 
you know, fortunately she had no issues with colic or any of the standard things that you hear about people, you know, with young babies having all these issues. My daughter was, you know, quite healthy. And so that made a huge difference when my wife was pregnant and my daughter eating organic and whatever else we could do with it. You know, if we didn't go to get organic, then we just ate healthier food selections. And if she was really very rarely sick. Well, that's why they restrict women from eating any type of fish that has mercury in it. Right. Because how the babies get the mercury is from the mother. Mm-hmm. They pick it up. Right. And, and you can't blame mom entirely because, no, you know, they, but they the point the is, is can, right, but you have you environmental know. issues and you have, you know, people just don't know. There's simple tests, and I'll talk more about this later. There's simple tests you can use to see if you have a body burden of any heavy metals, mercury, aluminum, or anything else like that. But let me, let me read you this headline uh, article from Diabetes Care, 2007. These findings suggest that persistent organic pollutants – may be associated with type 2 diabetes risk by increasing insulin resistance and may interact with obesity to increase the risk to type 2 diabetes. Now, here's something most people probably never heard of, and a lot of doctors don't even know this. But this is damage that happens to the body independent of inflammation. Okay. There's something that happens when you have too high of uh, sugar in the body. It binds up to different structures in the body. Now, it produces these things called age compounds, A-G-E-H, stands for advanced glycosylated end products. You don't have to know that, but think of age. What these age products do, just what it says, they age your skin, they age your muscles, they age your organs, they age your brain. What happens is when you have too much sugar, first of all, it binds up with protein structures and damages it. The one thing in chemistry that I can elicit to is called the Maillard reaction. The Maillard reaction happens when you bake bread. Fred, you ever bake bread? Sure. I know you're a baker. (laughs) So when you bake bread, the inside is nice and fluffy and moist and nice, right? The outside is a hard, crusty substance. That's what happens to your protein structures in the body. So that's one of the things how it forms what are called amyloid proteins in the brain that can cause Alzheimer's in that, right? How your doctor measures this, as part of your blood test, if you have sugar problems, he's going to measure your glycohemoglobin A1C, okay? That monitors how much damage is occurring in the body. So the A1C, the glycohemoglobin, what happens is glucose binds with hemoglobin. What is hemoglobin? Hemoglobin is what your doctor will measure in your blood chemistry to see if you have anemia or not. Hemoglobin's job is to deliver oxygen to muscle and to remove the waste product carbon dioxide. So your A1C, we want to see that number under 5.5. Anything over 6.5 can indicate diabetes and increases these age products. So it's very important. And believe me, I've had plenty of patients, type 2 diabetics, able to reverse the entire process and, and get off all the medications. Their doctor's able to pull them off the medications. So I'll read you something from... The Journal American Medical Association, 2006, hemoglobin A1C, levels greater than 5.5, are associated with increasing risk to insulin, glucose, and lipid complications. And then if we have time, I'm going to talk about some other contributing factors. One of them is going to be stress. So stress, all by itself, what's stress? Stress could be psychological. It could be trauma. 
Your stress reactions are, were developed in your fight or flight system. Primitive man, the bear comes, he's going to eat you. So your adrenaline gets pumped out. You either fight or you run up a tree. I'm going to run up a tree, to be honest with you. Now, we do have stress reactions like that today. People, you know, breaking in your house, whatever, things like that. But for the most part, our stress isn't as high as that, but it's for long periods of time. You may be stressed out for weeks and months and years, on and on. And what it does is it, it increases your cortisol levels. Now, your cortisol level antagonizes the action of insulin and can actually increase your risk to insulin resistance and diabetes. In fact, being people genetically predisposed, being on cortisone or pregnisone for too long for a problem can actually put you into type 2 diabetes. One of the ways, real quick, how we're going to handle stress, we can do things like mo- uh, yoga. We can do meditation. Take a walk. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I prefer to pray. The other thing we can do, homeopathic medicine is, is like miraculous with stress responses. Also, there's certain amino acids that can increase um, your ability to handle stress with your, your brain chemicals. And the primary way to do it is with exercise. That burns up the stress chemicals. So exercise is extremely important. Now, what we're going to do next, next time, we're going to cover all the alternative ther- therapies. Okay. If you have any questions, you can email me through my website, TomMantos.com. My phone number is 732-219-9636. I also do uh, half-hour free consults. I can do them on the phone. If you can come into Red Bank, New Jersey, I'll be glad to see you in person. Fred's website is fitbyfred.net, and you can get a hold of him through there. Well, we give these people, these listeners, a lot to, to think about already. There is a lot, but you know what? The, pre- the good practitioner, functional medicine doctor, or the practice that I have is, is built on that model. They're trained to put all this stuff together and figure out what to do, what kind of program to give you, which yeah. is great. And, we'll and cover, they'll guide you through it. And we'll cover more in our next podcast. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Thank you for listening this week to Tom Mantos speaking of nutrition with co-host Fred Bornicola. We have new episodes every week on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join us again soon as we continue your personal journey to better health. Mantos's Center for Alternative and Preventative Medicine in New Jersey will help you find the right solutions for your health and nutritional needs. Each person is different, and our customized approach tailored to individual needs allows us to create achievable goals that are based on your lifestyle and physicality. Our preventative medicine specialists are committed to helping you make the changes you need in your life. To schedule a 30-minute free consultation or for more information, call 732-219-9636 or visit TomMantos.com.